0: Hey guys, I am absolutely freaking out. The Lunar Chronicles, a series that I totally shipped back when it came out when I was in high school. We get to hear from its author today.
1: Yay, welcome to We Ship It, where Steph and I get to fangirl, or guy, over our favorite ships. And today, as Steph said, we are talking to Marissa Meyer, the genius behind the Lunar Chronicles, and our focus today, Cinder and Prince Kai, from none other than Cinder of the Lunar Chronicles. Do we ship it? Listen to find out.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Steph.
1: And I'm Devin.
0: And welcome to We Ship It! Today we have a particularly exciting episode ahead of us. We're talking to the author of Cinder and the Lunar Chronicles, a sort of science fiction modern retelling of Cinderella, uh, kind of, which we'll get to talking about, and it's Awesome. Uh, We're going to be focusing on learning more about Marissa and the Lunar Chronicles, but also to discuss Cinder and Kai. Thanks to Marissa for joining us. And for a bit more on Marissa, Marissa Meyer is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Lunar Chronicles, Heartless, the Renegades trilogy and Instant Karma, as well as the graphic novel duology Wires and Nerve. She holds a B.A. in Creative Writing from Pacific Lutheran University and an M.A. in Publishing from Pace University. Pace University. Okay. side note, my mom went there. So cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In addition to writing, Marissa hosts the Happy Writer podcast. She lives near Tacoma, Washington with her husband and twin daughters.
1: Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for joining us to talk Cinder and of course, Cinder and Kai
0: hi
2: thanks so much for having
1: me
0: yes <laughs> we're so excited for we're excited uh, we have absolutely loved our time rereading cinder over the past few weeks like i admitted to marissa earlier um i have read the the three books in the series or there's a few more of them but the three main ones that i was aware of in like three days so it's a really good series if you haven't listened to it or or read it yet you need to do it um But thank you for creating such an inspiring and interesting twist on a classic tale. It definitely keeps you on your toes. You know, one of those books that you can't stop reading, um, which I think is great. And Devin and I... so. for the We Ship It podcast in general. We talk about our favorite ships, but this season has been particularly themed. So we wanted to focus on Disney or animated themes, but we also wanted to keep books involved too. So these classic tales that Disney has remade, we also wanted to discuss some of the other retellings as well. So that's why we're like, we need to talk about Cinder. Um, So a few logistics. We're going to start up the episode by talking a bit about Cinder itself, learning more about Marissa, like I said, and then we'll end with a few questions about Cinder. Cinder, and Kai. Um, As usual, we want to provide a bit of a spoiler alert for anyone who's listening. We're going to stay away from spoilers for as much as we can, but there are little things we're going to be talking about, so if you haven't read the books, go do it before we hop into too many details. Um, But we're definitely going to be talking about some plot points, so please, if you haven't read Cinder, go do so. All right, let's get started.
1: Let's do this. All right, so (laughs) Question number one, (laughs) can you give our listeners a little elevator pitch of what Cinder is about? We kind of gave a little bit before, but can you give us another one for us?
2: Sure. Absolutely. So Cinder is the first book in the Lunar Chronicles, and it is a science fiction retelling of the classic Cinderella story. But my Cinderella named Cinder is a cyborg. She is part human and part machine. And she is a very talented mechanic, and she has a a little uh, mechanic store at the weekly market. And one day, the prince himself, Prince Kai, shows up at her booth and has a broken android that he needs (laughs) fixed. And Cinder takes on the job, not realizing that that android has some secrets buried inside of its mechanical (laughs) brain and those secrets uh, could potentially save or destroy the world. Um, There is also an evil queen who lives on the moon uh, who is trying to take over planet Earth and kind of as the series goes on, Cinder comes to realize that she is the only one capable of stopping her.
0: Yes. And when we first originally wrote these questions, we had only read Cinder. And I'm going to add a question or two because now, having read Scarlet and like I'm halfway through Crest, there are other like other things in there that i really want to talk about so (laughs) you just let me know um but so our next question is so we love reading and getting our hands on new books do you have any recommendations of what you're currently reading or things that you've read before that you really love
2: oh gosh i hate this question (laughs) because there's so many of course as a book lover i mean there's a million books and authors that i love and, and would love to recommend Um, so let me think recently, well, for specifically for Lunar Chronicles fans, um, I've been pointing them toward, uh, oh gosh, what is the series name? Um, Between Burning Worlds is one of the books. It's by Joanne Rendell and Jessica Brody. And I can't think of what the series title is, but it's essentially a science fiction retelling of Les Miserables. Um, yeah. it. what? It's amazing. It's that. so good. Uh, and and I think Lunar Chronicles fans like would get such a kick out of it. So that one I've been pitching. Um this year in particular. Oh gosh, I've loved Legend Born by Tracy Dion. Um I have to go, I have to turn around and look at my shelves. What else? What else has been really big this year? <laughs> Um, I have fallen in love with Roshni Chakshi and her work. Um, she was new to me this year, but I've now mm-hmm. binged almost everything in her repertoire because she is so good. Um, Fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Lainey Taylor and Lee Bardugo, and I'm going to stop there. Cause I could just go on and on
0: <laughs> <laughs> a whole bookshelf of options. There. I know, I know it's hard. <laughs> no, that's Fantastic. awesome.
1: Fantastic. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, um, our podcast is a product of the quarantine, but we were wondering if you have been working on anything during this quarantine season. And if not, how have you been spending your days?
2: Yeah, that's so funny, because as you mentioned in my bio, I also have a podcast uh, called The Happy Writer, (laughs) and it was also a quarantine project for me. I started it in March and it was kind of my way to one to like keep up with socializing because i love meeting writers and talking to other writers but Mm -hmm. at the start of covid all of our book festivals got cancelled and the conferences and i like immediately realized this is really sad and i'm gonna miss seeing all of these writers that i love that i usually get to see every few months uh, on top of that, it was really difficult, especially for debut authors this year who've had new books coming out to try to promote their works. And how do you get the word out when you don't have a platform and you don't have an audience there waiting for your books? And so it was kind of my way to uh, maybe help and talk to some writers and get the word out about new books that were coming oh, cool. out, too. So that's, that's been awesome. Yeah, so that's been my. my Side project this year and then of course I'm writing and I'm always writing and I've have, have, you know, been very productive this year. Well, I should say productive in some ways and not so productive <laughs> in other ways. It's been a
0: strange year creatively. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It, I mean, it has been a strange year in general. So yeah, I, I know, know, I know. I <laughs> Just check all the boxes. <laughs> You're doing all this stuff. That is great. Um, and definitely check out The Happy Writer because Devin and I have been enjoying that immensely. Love it's also it. nice to listen to podcasts during this weird quarantine time. So I've been obsessing over all these different things. So... But next question. Uh, we know that you recently just released your newest novel, Instant Karma. So congratulations there. Yes, yes, um, yes, Can you give our listeners a clue into what they might find in this novel?
2: Yes, I am so excited to talk about Instant Karma, my new novel. It is my first foray into contemporary. Uh, all of my previous books were fantasy or sci-fi. And so Instant Karma is about a teenage girl named Prudence who lives in kind of a a small coastal town in California. And she has fantasies of being able to cast instant karma on people around her when they do things that annoy her or that she just doesn't approve of. And then one night, she is out to karaoke with some friends. And she gets up and sings the song Instant Karma by John Lennon. And in doing so, the universe grants her this power uh, of casting instant karma on people. Cool. And so she is really excited and makes very good use of it punishing, you know, the bullies at her school and people who litter and cut in line and all of these really annoying things. But there's one boy, her biology partner at school, his name is Quint, and she cannot stand him. He gets on her every last nerve, but every time she tries to punish him for something, it ends up backfiring. Uh, And over the course of a summer, Prudence and Quint end up um, volunteering at a sea animal rescue center, and she kind of makes it her mission to figure out why her powers don't work on him.
1: Ooh, I love this.
2: Yeah, I'm ready to read Instant Karma now. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry.
2: Well, I hope you'll enjoy it. It's, it's probably the happiest thing that I've ever written. Oh, um, wow. And I just had so much fun with it. It was very vicarious for me to get to, you know, punish all these characters for oh, things I did. Oh, for sure. Really you get back
1: at people <laughs> secretly. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> so, it was it was a lot of fun.
1: That's fantastic. I love it um so we're gonna switch a little over just a tiny bit my question for you is what is your since we are talking about disney and other animated couples throughout this entire podcast season what is your favorite disney movie
2: my favorite disney movie oh that's a hard one so <laughs> tough um, <laughs> Hmm. You know, I feel like I put Disney movies into different categories. Like my favorite nostalgic one is okay, okay. Uh, The we'll Little take Mermaid because that was my favorite as a kid. Yes, um, absolutely. But I think the one that I probably enjoy watching and rewatching the most now in my later years is Tangled. Uh, I that love That is
1: Rapunzel, my favorite.
0: that's <laughs> freaking out um, yeah. because he actually said the same thing. He's like, for nostalgic purposes, it's the Little True Mermaid story. that I yeah. love. I was like, yeah. OK. But I also like recently both
2: Coco and Moana like stole my Ooh. heart and the music is so good in them. For Moana. sure. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I feel like, There's just so many good Disney And the culture movies. too. Yeah. I love it.
0: Coco's so good. Coco makes um, me cry
2: every single time.
0: But moving on from Disney, because we could talk about it literally all day. Um, were you always a sci-fi, fantasy girl growing up? And what is it about these genres that you think attract readers?
2: Yeah, I would say definitely fantasy. Fantasy was mm-hmm. kind of my first love, uh, you know, reading Chronicles of Narnia when I was a kid. And then into yes. getting into Tolkien as I got older. And then all through my teen years, like, all I wanted were things with dragons and quests and that was that was it for me as far as my reading tastes went um science fiction i didn't really read science fiction but i like star wars was really huge for me as a yeah. kid um like super into leia and han um,
1: absolutely speaking of
2: ships like they were the number one they started it all <laughs> for me uh, so so i had kind of that love on the sci-fi side and I don't know I think that there is just something very hopeful about these genres. Um, I think that they they really thrive on that good versus evil, those tropes. Um, and they can show, you know, a lot of darkness and struggle and war and death, and, you know, tyrannical leaders and powerful wizards and all of this. But the good guys, no matter how small or weak or, you know, seemingly unimportant. They start out, they always manage to overcome. Uh, and so I think that that's just a really powerful thing that a lot of us are attuned to and we connect with mm-hmm. that on a lot of levels.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think it's similar with fairy tales. And that's why this season has been so awesome for me and Devin, like talking about Disney and all these different like sci-fi fantasy stories. It's that good and evil conflict and the how good always comes out on top that we just like we love I mean not always but for the most part um and that's just such a such a good I think it brings readers back and that you're so right about that but
1: also I'm so glad that you said Narnia because that was my first <laughs> series that I ever read and I love <gasps> that
2: <too>. was it, <laughs> oh my it was It was like the first thing I read that didn't have pictures and yes. at the time I thought it was such an enormous accomplishment like I got through all of these pages And then I remember many years, like I was in college, I think. And I was like, I'm going to reread those. And I went and picked them up. And they're just like the teeniest, tiniest little books. And I was like, I remember this (laughs) being a lot bigger.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. All right. So with that, um, this classic tale has been retold again and again. So what gave you the inspiration to take a crack at Cinderella and breathe new life into it?
2: Yeah, oh gosh, that's such a good question. I love fairy tales and I love fairy tale retellings, but I had actually thought, because I'd been kind of had the idea that I wanted to do a re- fairy tale retellings really since I was a teenager and I'd, I'd started a couple, but they didn't really oh, go cool. anywhere. And I was like convinced that, well, like, I'm never going to do Cinderella because. Everybody's done Cinderella, like (laughs) how many Cinderella retellings does the world need? Um, And I just thought, well, if you were going to retell Cinderella or a story that's been told so many times, like for me, I would need to have an idea that felt truly unique, like this has never been done before. And I I truly thought like, I'll never have that idea because there's just so many of them out there. And then I um, had this idea that I thought it would be fun to do science fiction retellings of some of these classic stories, um, which that in itself felt kind of new and unique. And then uh, one night I had a dream about Cinderella, but in my dream, she was a cyborg and she had this robotic foot that kept falling off. And when I woke up, I just thought, oh, that's it. That's my genius yes. idea. <laughs> and I, I loved it. I All got from so a dream. excited. How I know. I know how the subconscious works. Who knows? Um, but yeah, and I just thought, well, that's that's my, my idea that I don't think anybody else has done anything with. So mm-hmm. I ran with it.
0: And it really was unique. Like, there were points where I was like, oh, okay, I think I see where this is going. And then it just, like, completely went against my expectations. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yes, amen. I love this. Uh, but next question. So what qualities of Cinderella were you determined to keep true to their form in Cinder? So there was definitely some of those
2: iconic moments that, and kind of the overall message of Cinderella, the theme, the rags to riches theme Mm -hmm. I thought if it doesn't have that, if we don't have a heroine who's starting at the bottom of the social class and, you know, with the stepmother, the wicked stepmother and stepsisters and she's, you know, a servant and she has no rights and, you know, all of that. If we don't have that to start with and then kind of get to watch as she pulls out of this and goes on to have this, you know, fabulous future then it's not a Cinderella story. So I mm-hmm. knew we were going to have that. I knew it was going to be, um, you know, kind of that classic rags to riches. Um, and I wanted to have a ball. I wanted to have a you know, quote unquote slipper, you know, that falls off in the middle of it. Um, I and so there was just kind of some of those moments that I thought, well, it has to have that. Otherwise, to me, it doesn't feel like a true Cinderella retelling. Um, But once I had those things kind of in place and figured out, then I was like, well, what else could we do with this? And (laughs) kind of let my imagination take off from there. And so we add in the Lunars, you know, this kingdom on the moon and this evil queen. We add in a plague that's, you know, ravishing Earth uh, somewhat ironically now, 10 years later. Yes, yes. Um, and, And just kind of went with it.
1: Yeah. With that being said, we're going to move into a little bit more about Cinder. So I love how you tackle the question of what makes us human. So can you tell us more about this discovery?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that a lot of science fiction writers have played with. And one that I think a lot of us are fascinated by and become more and more fascinated by as technology increases. You know, and there's just something about artificial intelligence that is so cool and Mm -hmm. amazing, the potential that's there, and yet Mm -hmm. can also be kind of scary in a lot of ways. And so I just love that. I love that question of at what point does does it stop being machine? At what point does a human stop being human? You know, I just think those are really interesting things to explore as a writer.
0: That's awesome. And you do see that with Cinder and how she's treated as a cyborg. Like, I just think it's so interesting that we get her perspective. Like, I, I found that so interesting and that it, that was our heroine, too. So, yeah, no,
2: I loved writing Cinder and I loved, you know, taking this character who's, you know, 36 percent not human. She's had, you know, enough of her body replaced and, uh, you know, I don't know what the word (laughs) is, cyberified. That it it starts to bring up questions for those around her, even though, I mean, Cinder, she still has like the full gamut of emotions and intelligence. And and yet we have these people who look at her so differently. She is something other, she is something scary, something weird, Uh, and getting to play with that you know, as a writer is just, you know, really kind of fun in a lot of ways and kind of gets to shine a light on a little, lot of different aspects of humanity and how we do see and treat people who are different than us. Um, and so yeah,
1: kind I loved of, entering that world, world, world and parallel. having to re-figure out where is our, like, status quo system here mm-hmm. and like how do i how do i envision this in our world so that i can relate even further to this because i love just diving right into it and really just connecting to who cinder was yeah. and why she was so looked down upon um that was just what i enjoyed uh, investigating more about your character building and world building systems so that was yeah really cool.
0: who was your favorite character to write probably eco uh, oh, who is,
2: love her. Yes, love her. <laughs> she is Cinder's, you know, android best friend, and she totally took me by surprise. Like I knew that Cinder was going to have this robot sidekick, but in my kind of early imaginings, as I was figuring out the plot of the story, I thought that the robot was going to be like kind of boring and very you know, cynical and serious and Mm -hmm. robotic. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I started writing and Iko just appears in the first chapter and completely destroyed everything that I'd planned for her. And was (laughs) like, nope, I'm not gonna be that way at all. And she really just wrote herself, um, Mm -hmm. which as a writer is not every character is like that. And so when it happens, it just feels very magical.
1: That's wonderful. That's cool. it, 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 there's like a strong connection to almost like that R2-D2 kind of feel. Yes,
2: <laughs> like very-
1: like someone who's just on the side but has such a huge role in the whole series. <laughs>
2: yes, it just takes over and totally became a fan favorite.
0: Yes, she did. Okay, next question. Allowing the story to be told through both Prince Kai and Cinder is unusual for the classic Cinderella tale. What made you want to take this route? Yeah,
2: well, for starters, one of the very first things that I knew I was wanting to do with this story was to give Kai a much bigger role in it. Mm-hmm. Of course, in Cinderella, most versions of Cinderella, at least the, the old versions, the prince is pretty non-existent. Like, we <laughs> meet him at very the true. ball, and he's just instantly smitten. Yeah. And then later he goes on this you know quest to find the girl that fits the shoe. Mm-hmm. But what do you know about this guy, really? Like, there's nothing there. And Mm -hmm. and so I knew, well, that's not going to work for me and (laughs) wanting to build a romance between these two characters. So I knew that I wanted to get to know Kai. I want the readers to get to know him. Um, I I wanted to establish that connection and that relatability. And and so from the beginning, I knew he was going to play a much bigger role than your traditional Cinderella prince. As far as having... Chapters from each of their perspective it really or sorry perspectives. It really was Dictated by the plot and what the book needed and there are things that Kai knows that the reader needs to know but there's no way to get that information to Cinder Um, There's times when there's something really important happening at the palace and the reader needs to see that but Cinder's off doing her own thing and so Mm -hmm. really throughout the whole series Um, I just kind of decided from the beginning that I was not going to be stuck in, you know, one character's perspective or even the four main characters' perspectives. I wanted to be able to jump around and have that freedom to, you know, move around throughout the world so that I could let the readers in on things as they were being revealed.
1: That's awesome. Now, with that being said, Kai has proven to be very vulnerable Prince Charming. Um, Does this make him a more honest presentation of a prince? And does this vulnerability make him a better leader?
2: Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. Um, I think it can go either way. I think that vulnerability can make you a good leader. um, But it can also be taken as a weakness in a lot of ways. And so I, I like to think that Kai walks that line, like he finds a balance in some ways. Um, But there are definitely times throughout the series when he is pushed into a corner and he just has so few options to him and he so badly wants to do the right thing, to be a good prince, to be a good leader, to help his people any way that he can. And there are just so many times when his hands are tied and it's very frustrating for him. Um, And I think of all the characters in my series, Kai was one that I sympathized with the most, Uh I think, because there were so many times when I thought, oh, he hates this. He hates what he has to do here. (laughs) Um, But he truly believes that it's the only way to help his people. Uh, So, so, but I, I like to think that it's, you know, that determination to be good, to do the right thing for his people is one of his ultimate strengths as well.
0: Love it. We love Kai here for sure. Um, But so now we're going to take a little bit of a turn. We have a few questions just specifically about Cinder and Kai that we're going to be asking about. And it's going to be a little bit more of like a discussion because we have some thoughts too that we want to like share with you. See what you think. Um, But the first question that we had was Kai continues to choose Cinder again and again when he has so many other things that he could be worried about. Does this make him a bad prince? (laughs)
2: Um, You know, I think that he chooses Cinder in his heart, but he doesn't always choose her outwardly. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. there are a number of times throughout the series when he, you know, chooses to go along with Queen Levana, the evil Queen Levana, and he gives into some of her demands knowing that she has something that he needs or that his country needs. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely in his heart, he is always rooting for Cinder. He always wants Mm -hmm. her to come out on top. Um, because obviously by that point he's fallen quite in love with her. Uh, so I think that he, there are definitely points in the series in which he has no real hope that he and Cinder have a future. Um, but that doesn't stop him from, from wanting that. Right.
0: Right. Devin, do you have any thoughts?
1: For me, Kai's is a stellar guy. Um, I connected with him immediately because he always seemed to have his hands tied. Like, from the first time you meet him to the end, like, he's kind of, like, pushed into this, like you said, this corner almost. And he has to, like, find his way out of that corner. Um, I, I don't see his dedication and longing for a companion as being a negative attribute to him as a prince, but as a positive one because it makes him seem like... regular guy to his common people almost. He's able to connect with them. Um, They they see that he he doubts himself and then he seeks comfort in someone and that's reassuring to them to see someone that's wanting to do that. Um, I will say that it kind of also makes him more show his uh, like Inexperience (laughs) as a prince, but I think that's the point and I, I love that
0: yeah and like I kind of agree that's kind of what I said too I don't think it outrightly makes him a bad prince because ultimately it shows naivety on his part however he's right like his gut is right throughout this whole time when a lot of people are actually wrong about what's going on so I think it might actually show a sign of a good leader who's able to follow his instincts and follow the clues and more clues come up after cinder obviously which I'm like burning to talk about but um He's just a young guy. And I think following Cinder shows that he follows the light, like he follows the good um, rather than, you know, falling into the mess of the moment. So yeah. and Cinder's like thoughts.
1: his voice of reason, almost like his he he sees her and he's just like, oh, everything's fine. Like, yeah. I'm able to, I able, can focus on you and everything will be OK, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> which, which we all need,
2: you know, naive and in those are, of course, quote-unquote negative traits, but mm-hmm. but they're also really r- relatable. And especially he's mm-hmm. 18 years old at the start of the series, and what 18-year-old is, you know, thrust into this, this <laughs> world and this, making these decisions that he has to make with very little guidance. Um, and so for him, it really comes down to, like, tr- he's trying his best, but there's just not a lot he can do a lot of the time.
0: I just want to hug him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Strong sympathy for this guy. <laughs> All right, so our next one has to do with Kai a little bit as well. So was Kai's reaction to finding out the truth about Cinder warranted?
2: Uh, the, the
0: truth at which point?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: so we'll stick with the end of Cinder for now. Um, I guess. Okay, so like in the ball,
2: the... the yes. Correct,
1: the ball scene.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he is shocked. I think that he he really is, is kind of going into shock in that moment when he learns the truth. Um, and he has grown up in a world, see here we are like close to spoilers, like how do we talk about <laughs> yes, this? And yes. not give spoilers. <laughs> um, but he has grown up in a world in which he has been told to believe one thing and to then be faced with that and his heart and his feelings are telling him another thing but all his whole life he's been told this other thing you know i think that that Mm -hmm. this moment in which he doesn't know what to think and doesn't know what to believe in that at that time so yeah i think that it is well not maybe warranted but i think it would be very human um and natural Mm -hmm. the way that he reacted agreed
0: I agree. And I think like, I think it's all he could do at a moment of extreme panic when all eyes were on him to react the way he did. And I think you kind of see throughout the series, though, he's not reacting as like a prejudiced guy like he's reacting as a guy who doesn't have all the facts and doesn't know how to react in a moment where he's like all of this is on me now I just got the throne and what the heck do I do and the world is falling apart and I think he does a pretty good job maneuvering that and maneuvering his feelings for cinder as well while everything's kind of falling apart from the perspective of he's 18 and he just got the throne um but I do think he is actually pretty Um, pretty good with the way that he judges and handles Cinder in the moments that he's given with her. Does that make sense?
2: No, it does. And I think you're right that he doesn't have all of the information. And I think to Kai, it is really important to have all the information. And so there's a number of times when he, you know, he kind of withholds judgment or withholds making a decision because he's hoping that there's going to be more revealed he's looking for more information before he takes that
0: next step which is i think actually pretty wise when you compare it to how some of the other world leaders react to things Mm -hmm. um but no more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next question.
2: The yeah, um, fictional world leaders in this fictional <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: So a mechanic and a prince. Not the likeliest of matches, yet what makes their relationship work so well and why does Kai find comfort in Cinder?
2: I think that they both really admire and respect each other. And I think that they balance each other out in a lot of ways. I think the first time that Kai comes to the market booth and sees Cinder doing her thing, and she has skills that are so completely outside of his comfort zone. Like he has no idea how robots or spaceships work. (laughs) (laughs) And, And to see this girl who's younger than him and yet so accomplished and so good at this, um you know he immediately admires that and of course she admires him because she can see the goodness she can see how hard he's trying to do the right thing she believes in him as a leader and so there's just like this immediate respect right off of the bat um and then again like they they balance each other out she's a little bit more hot-headed he's very level and even keel Mm -hmm. and and so they kind of just To me, in my opinion, always just made a good match. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just love that she wanted nothing to do with this guy. Everyone (laughs) else is fangirling over him. And then she's like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe Maybe. I do. Maybe I do. But for me, the one thing that stands out to me, what makes him so work so well is the fact that they both experience loss and it's sets and sets the tone right away um they both go through the heartache of losing someone they love dearly to this plague and i i it kind of breaks them and gets them into a more open setting where they're they're able to let their walls down um like we start off without without them having walls built up like usually we get in relationships and we we feel like we have to protect ourselves from one side and one side but they kind of just like open except for for her for her real truth (laughs) she does she does hide that from him um and maybe um it develops a relationship um and maybe one where they wouldn't have normally have been so open and expressive in the first place and he finds that confidence in her and just that longing to want to confide in her um Cause he's, he's lost that kind of like support system from before. So thoughts on you, Steph?
0: Yeah yeah I think for me it's that they connect so easily and they're able to communicate so easily with each other like have you ever had different levels of relationships where you can just kind of be around someone and you know you're at the same level thinking almost the same thing and like they understand the words that you're saying better than others do I feel like with them they fall into this very easy pattern of being able to like unleash their deepest darkest secrets for the most part to each other and just like communicate in that way and that's what I really love about them is that like Kai like sees her as almost like an advisor in a sense, like even though she's totally not qualified for that. <laughs> he, sees her, he sees her as this like advisor in life of like, like he tells her all these things that are going on. He probably shouldn't tell her and he just like unloads to her. And I find that a very her her also later on, too. But I, I find that very um a very important kind of relationship to have. So even if they weren't like romantically sort of having a chemistry, I feel that they could be very good friends too.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that they find a lot of comfort in each other. And uh, Devin, I think your point about both experiencing that loss and kind of going through that uh, relatively at the same time together, I think that that does kind of help cement this relationship uh, and this bond that they have for each other. Right. Um, but it's funny, because I do think about when I'm writing my couples and, and my, you know, romantic storylines, in young adult fiction, like, there's a lot of emphasis put on passion and, yep. you know, that those first fireworks <laughs> and that moment of, you know, seeing somebody and, oh, the, the, the yearning. And I love that, like, with any writer and any reader, I, of course, love that and want that but I also spend a fair amount of time thinking, but okay, what is this couple going to be like when they're 60 years old? And right. you know, if they're going to be together, cause of course, I think that they're all soulmates and they all belong right. together. <laughs> um, and so what are they going to do on a Sunday morning together when they're older? And, and I want to establish relationships that are going to be healthy and long lived.
0: Yeah, and so I actually have another question that's not on our list that has popped up in my head. But you write the romantic scene so well. Like, I I am engrossed in these scenes. And so I was actually wondering, because this is more focused on Cinder, I'm also just wondering, since I'm getting through the series now, who was your favorite couple to write? And are we allowed to talk about that? Because if not, I could cut it out. But I'm just <laughs> interested in knowing because... Each one of them brings so much to the table, and so I beautiful. was just so, like, I, I, I was obsessed with all of them, honestly.
2: Well, thank you. I love hearing that. Um, I get asked that all the time, and I truly don't really have a favorite. No? No, I love them all. I feel like when I'm writing and when I'm developing these characters, I become so invested in them and in, mm. in their relationship that it's almost like I am falling in love while they are. And and so by the end of every book, I'm just like so smitten and so like, can we just kiss already? When do we get to kiss? (laughs) Um, That's where I was at. Yeah, I know. And so, yeah, so ultimately I just really love all of the couples. And at the same time, I love that the fandom for these books like people have their own OTPs and their personal yes. favorite ships and I just think that's really fun. Me
0: too oh thank you. All
1: right so returning <laughs> returning back to Kai and Cinder is it fair for Kai to ask Cinder to the ball so that he doesn't have to marry Levana? <laughs>
2: No. <laughs> I think that that was probably not a wise decision when he did it. Um, but again, coming back to him being a little naive and inexperienced and just desperate. I think in that moment, he was desperate to have another option. And here is this girl that he is already smitten with that he like spending time with he can tell that she's something special and in his mind in that moment is like well this might be a better option <laughs> um but I don't Here, think here's that, a
1: card that wasn't on the table yes,
2: before. <laughs> yes, but i don't think that he had fully thought that out um and hadn't yet played through all the potential repercussions of that mm-hmm. decision um, but he just kind of did it in the moment
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it, like, fair in the most basic sense of the word, but I love it. Like, it's just such a moment where I'm like, amen. Like, I would (laughs) respond like this if I was in his position. But um, I think it makes it a little clear that he's still a little immature, bringing that back up that he's young. Um, It almost felt like he was asking another girl to the prom, like, instead of, like, to his coronation ball. Like, that's why it was kind of cute to me. Um, And I, you know... I don't think like it is is honestly even his main purpose in asking her because he's like in love with her, infatuated with her in that moment. Um, it's more a way like the way he's phrasing it. He's sort of uh, trying to avoid being vulnerable about his true feelings almost. I don't know. Like in some of the scenes when he's asking her, it doesn't even seem like he's like trying to woo her necessarily. It was just sort of something that came out of his mouth. And I was like. <laughs> oh.
2: Yeah, I also don't think that he has yet realized that he needs to try to woo her. Yes. Um, you know <laughs> he's, not, he's not a particularly arrogant character, but he is a guy who has lived his entire life Surrounded by people who don't. I was just him. about to
1: say the same thing. He <laughs> thinks he's smoother than what he is. Yes,
2: yes very much so. <laughs> he's um, like,
1: I he can knows. say this line, and I'm going to get her real quick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: You know, and and his what experience he does have, he knows every girl in the country is in love with him. He's you know weekly on these tabloid mm-hmm. you know net shows. You know, oh, the prince is so dreamy, and we all love him. Like that's just his reality. And the idea that this girl, who is essentially a nobody, she's a mechanic at the weekly market, but to think Mm -hmm. that she might, you know, play hard to get, I don't think that even crosses
0: his mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's what intrigues him a little bit more, too, when she's, like, playing hard to get. He's like, oh, something I can't have? Well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, so... I get to ask the final question, the question we ask every time, and it's the best question. Do we ship it? So I don't (laughs) know if you want Devin and me to go first. Obviously, you probably ship it. I totally ship it, but I don't know if I can answer the question right off the bat. What do you think? (laughs) Of course I ship it. I ship all my. <laughs> <lives>. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. Well, I I definitely I have I can't say I've finished the whole series yet. I'm on my way there, uh slowly but surely or fastly but surely, I guess. Um but I I really do ship them like we were saying before I, I find that she gives him a reality check and that you know while she's stringing him along it's one of those relationships that I'm like just kiss already darn it and that's why it just gives me those good feelings and also not just like romantic feelings but like I said before they're just such good friends for one another that I just I really love their blossoming blossoming relationship uh, Devin what about you?
1: yes absolutely (laughs) Um, what i love (laughs) (laughs) what i love about them is that they start off as we usually just get right introduced to the couples but they start off as just like acquaintances and then they get to friends and then like you see the full development of their relationship and i'm excited to see like how it continues to develop as the series continues um and even though we are left in a tough spot um i know that this is a true power couple in the end and we will definitely see them um they both have great attributes in characterization, and I look forward to exploring them further as it continues um, in the novels. Um, so, and if you haven't read them yet, do so immediately for this couple and for the various others that are bound to unfold in the preceding novels and graphic novels.
0: Yes. Oh, so, Marissa. <laughs> oh, thank you! Like <laughs> we're talking about this because it's your awesome brainchild, and. <laughs> <laughs> um, good it was a fun discussion like we we love cinder we love what you've been able to bring to you know all of these shippers Mm -hmm. um and so have you seen have you this actually just another question have you read any of the fan fiction that's out there
2: (laughs) well i should say like i read one years and years and years ago like when The very first couple of stories went up on fanfiction.net, and a friend Mm -hmm. of mine emailed me to let me know, and I was so (laughs) giddy and just, I was looking over (laughs) the moon. Uh, And so I went and read one, and it was very short, like just like a two-page sweet little thing about Kai and Cinder. Realizing that they loved each other because you don't really get that moment in the first book, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that that author they just couldn't wait to get there. Yes. <laughs> um, and I thought, ah, oh, that, that was. Let's speed so
1: this up a little sweet. bit. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, but I I also realized that like fan fiction, it's not for the writers, it's not for the original creator. Correct. It's for the yeah, other yeah. fans. Um, And so I I also wrote fan fiction. I got my start writing fan fiction. Really? I did, I wrote for Sailor Moon for years and years.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) And I
2: feel like if the creator of Sailor Moon like ever went and read fan fiction, that would have really freaked me out and made me very paranoid. Like what is she, has she read mine? And what is, how did she (laughs) feel about it? And you know, would I have changed anything that I did if I'd known that? And so I kind of just made the decision really early on that I am not going to read it. Um, I'm so happy that it's out there, but I know that it's not for me. And so I just hope that the fans, you know, enjoy it and enjoy sharing and coming up with their own ideas.
0: Love it. Well, we definitely enjoyed it. So thank you so much. And I will let you know once I'm finished with Cress, probably tonight, how what I'm feeling about it. <laughs>
1: But thank you so much for sharing and um, just talking to us and having such a great discussion. We always love hearing from the author's perspective.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, you guys
0: awesome i feel like i learned so much you know thank you for the gift of the lunar chronicles and for spending some time with us from here everyone go please follow marissa on social media or listen to our amazing podcast the happy writer or read the lunar chronicles if you haven't yet or reread them
1: or reread them (laughs) yes
0: if we're inspiring you to do that go do it
1: And of course, please rate and uh, review the podcast if you enjoyed it or reach out. We would love to hear from you. Share your thoughts to include in an episode or join us as a guest. Find us on social media, our website, or email us at we ship it podcast at gmail.com. We love you guys.
0: Yes. Thank you, Marissa. And thank you all. See you next week out of the 200,000 shippers out there. Why not you? Thanks, love bugs.
1: <laughs> thank you guys. <laughs>